From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my great honor to welcome to our microphones Father Marcel Tyone, who is the new Interim Vocations Director here at the Archdiocese starting April 15th, 2024. Father Tyone, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here, Taylor. I'm, I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity to serve. Well, you have a, quite an interesting background. I understand you speak three languages. Yeah, I, I speak French and Italian and obviously English. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a, a French-speaking home, French-Canadian home, but uh, only Italian in Italy. And uh, it's a blessing because it allows you to have relationships with people that speak those languages. So that's always anyone that learns a second language knows the, the gifts around that. So it's great. I hear you. So... Tell me, how did it come about you uh, have accepted the position as vocations director here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services? Yes, yeah, so I'm grateful. My own bishop, Bishop Henning from Providence, uh, obviously is generous and knows there's a need. Uh, Archbishop Brolio uh, asked, and uh, I feel called to it. I have a great passion for seminarians, for priesthood. I love the priesthood. Uh, I love our country and, and those who serve our country are willing and sacrifice every day. Uh, in and out of harm's way. So obviously Catholics in the military need priests, so there, there's uh, certainly a need in a lot of places for more vocations, but I think probably, the, if you will, uh, the military should be our, our first priority in the sense of serving them as they serve us. Now, you're a priest of the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, and are you involved in vocations in that diocese? So I hopefully every priest and every layperson is involved in vocations, right? Want to make sure we have a vocation culture. So that, that's a think I try to think of it that way. But I have been. I've been ten years before. I'm, I'm a pastor of a great parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, called St. Thomas More, a thriving, beautiful faith community. And we have military families. We're not far from the Newport Naval Base. So uh, time and time here and there, we do uh, receive some of those people come through us, and so that's been great to serve them. But uh, yeah, so I I did work in vocation ministry in the diocese for ten years as recruiter, as uh, director of spiritual formation at our college seminary, and then as vocation director, and uh, was also involved in ongoing formation of priests for thirteen years, which is a, which was a great work, and and still continues to feed my ministry today. So I think the Lord always sort of prepares all of us, whatever we do in life, he prepares us to, to serve him at the next step. So I feel like at least I'm prepared. I have a lot to learn, but I, but I do feel ready to go and, and to um, support our vocations. Now, I'm sure you know uh, the vocation situation here at the Archdiocese. Uh, we do have quite a few young men in the pipeline to become chaplains. But as you know, for the past several decades, the number of priests on active duty in the U.S. military has been steadily declining to the point where we're now under 200, uh, and that's to serve hundreds of thousands of Catholics in all branches. You'll have your work cut out for you. How do you feel about that? Well, I think exactly you're, you're pointing out the need and why I'm here uh, to help hopefully alleviate that and uh, keep us moving in the right direction. We have, uh, I know one thing that's for certain, and everyone tells me that the quality of the seminarians that are co-sponsored is amazing. Um, 
seminary staffs I know and other priests that have met them say they're just they're incredibly men of great quality, integrity, and a zeal to do. They know what they're getting ready to do. So in that way, I think I think that'll help the culture and hopefully their witness and them meeting other people also inspires other young men to, to also come forward and to be open to the ministry. Well, I'm a witness to that because I've seen the young men who've come through here over the past 12 or 13 years, and I've been very, very impressed. <laughs> mm. uh, they have their act together in a way that I wish I had when I was their age. Mm. Um, tell me a little bit about your personal background. How did you discover your vocation? And uh, maybe give us your sales pitch for the young man who's <laughs> discerning priesthood and chaplaincy. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, some some boys or young men know they kind of have a feeling that they're going to be a priest their whole life. I did not have that luxury or grace in my life. I think the Lord, uh, again, prepared me uh for supporting vocations because of the maybe the crooked lines the Lord drew with pencils for the grace in my life. So I grew up in a, again, as I said, a family, a French-Canadian family uh, in a place called Woonsocket, Rhode Island, uh, which was French uh, in the days, and we had a lot of religious sisters and, and priests, um, but grew up there, and really my goal was to go to college and make money and be in kind of a professional career, presumed marriage and family, I think as many young men do, and and did that, and then I ended up uh, working for CVS Pharmacies, the uh, the big retail pharmacy company is headquartered in my town. But I ended up uh, working for them and training pharmacists how to use computers when they computerize a chain. Then became an analyst for them. So I was always practicing the faith. I've been blessed uh, to always believe the Eucharist is God. Uh, I've been blessed with that through my whole life, and praise God for that. That that's a great foundation. I think why the priesthood. One of the main reasons, right, the priest exists is to feed the people of God uh, with his, the body and blood of Jesus, the high priest. So I was in corporate life and traveled a lot uh, alone. And again, before social media culture was like we have today, you kind of can't keep in touch with people as we can today. Uh, and so, but I found one of the graces around that was I would always go to Mass and crowbar that into my schedule on Sundays wherever I was around the country. And it was during those times, I think, when I look back, I see my prayer life deepened, and I began to really sort of discern in my call to priesthood, and it was a frightening thing. Um, I think anyone who's honest and they're humble, they'll say, I, I can't do that. I have this, you know, I don't know, it's, it's uh, can, I, can I do that? Can I be successful, effective, and happy, and joyful, and is this what God wants? And those are pretty serious questions. Hopefully every Catholic or Christian asks themselves when they're discerning what is God's will for my life, especially around vocation. Uh, for me. So that's what happened. I was traveling and I ended up sort of every time there was like a prayer of the faithful during mass, praying vocations, it like stabbed me. It started to get like that. And I didn't tell people. I was sort of not sure. So it took me a while to finally get to the seminary, um, several years. And then I finally got the grace to try. And as I tell people discerning, right, seminary doors open out, you're not locked in. Um, and some people discern out before uh, they get ordained and that's God's will. Um, but so I went in the seminary and then from there on, it was beautiful. I studied at Our Lady of Providence Seminary, attended Providence College, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, for philosophy, which is required of all priests. Some people don't know you have to get a philosophy degree before you study theology to become a priest. And uh, so that's what I did and was blessed, got sent to Rome uh, to study for five years, was ordained a priest in 1994. Uh, I've been blessed to, again, serve in vocation ministry in an all-boys Catholic high school in Rhode Island called Bishop Hendrickin, which was an amazing place. Many of those young men joined uh, the military, and many of them, praise God, also joined the seminary, which was a, a great thing to walk with those uh, young adults uh, entering into that. So 
I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed. Again, I'm blessed. I have great parish and leaving that to come here, leaving them and uh, feeling called to be here. So I'm grateful um, just to be here and, and see what the Lord wants me to do. I see. And within that context of your background, how do you expect you'll interact with a young man who's trying to discern a call to priesthood? It's a great question. And I think first and foremost in all of our lives, but especially someone discerning is their prayer life, really receiving, uh, relating to Jesus, uh, the high priest, but really uh, someone's prayer life is critical to really be able to hear the voice of God. Uh, and so that's the first thing. And secondly, practical things. Think Many of these men have really good questions. You know, how does this affect my other relationships, my family? What will it be like? What What if I become a chaplain in the U.S. military? What, what does that look like? What are, what's the different cultures of the different branches? Um, you know, maybe having them meet priests that are already in active service who are happy and serving well and, and kind of networking them with the, with each other, too. I think when a, a good vocation director tries to network, uh, kind of build fraternity among those that are discerning, and I think that always helps. That certainly helped me coming into seminary and kind of developing those those spiritual bonds with other brothers. It really helps one discern and kind of can see your vocation better when it's alongside other people's. You kind of, I think it becomes a very source of great encouragement. So I know Part of the ministry will be doing retreats and getting people together and visiting seminarians in their respective seminaries, encouraging them, getting to know them, get to know their story, and uh, and how the Lord's calling them, and, and just help them help them hear the call, but also help them to respond and know that they're supported by the archdiocese and, and by good priests and, and lay people the world over. And I suspect your early adulthood life traveling for CVS has prepared you to do the traveling you're going to be doing as vocations director, yeah, going yeah. around to different seminaries. Yeah, it's great, Taylor, you bring that up. <laughs> it has <laughs> crossed my mind. Uh, that, that It's funny to, yeah, I think I'll be doing a lot of traveling, I know, but it's uh, I'm, on, I'm on mission to those that are being called to mission, right? So, and I, I think that's it's an opportunity, but yeah, I, I think my... Some of my life will, uh, for the next few months, is going to look like it was back then. And uh, but again, today, I think uh, you know it's an opportunity to being to travel is is an ability to pilgrimage, right? So, uh, versus going somewhere with and for God intentionally is different than just going somewhere to see something. You're listening to Catholic Military Life, a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. My guest is Father Marcel Tyone of the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. He's the new Interim Vocations Director here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. And I should share with our listener your name spelling. It's uh, a French name, uh, T-A-I-L-L-O-N. That's right, yeah. So it's pronounced uh, Tyone, kind of in English, Tyone in French. But uh, a lot of people... Back home and around the world, I know they just go to Father Teague sort of because they have they look at the name and sort of odd, and it's it's an unusual name. There was there is a major league baseball player that uh, pitched for the Yankees and he's out there, but he's got the same name pronounced it the same way as me, so it's actually helped quite a bit. Oh, good. A lot more people can pronounce it because of that baseball player, so <laughs> so that's a good thing. And you spent five years in Rome in preparation for priesthood. What was that like? Yeah, it was great, and I. I should point out that Cardinal O'Brien, the sinners, he was my rector all four years I was in Rome. I arrived with him, and he was there four years, and Cardinal Dolan after. But the North American College, it's called, is a seminary in Rome. And being in Rome, you study with people from all over the world, uh, literally every culture, and kind of kind of fall in love with the universal church, which I think is, again, another preparation for this ministry. Uh, you really see the, the one Catholic family, the same baptism, the 
the, the high priest, the priesthood we share among priests and, and seminarians. So it's a great experience there. And John Paul II was the Holy Father uh, in all that time I was there, and it was a blessing to sort of be under him and see him model priesthood for us. And it was just a very uh, special time to be there. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because, again, I think it was a time to grow in my understanding of the church herself and how beautiful she is, but the real bride of Christ. And uh, so I still carry that with me today. Did you actually get to meet the Pope? I did meet the Pope. I got to uh, serve a Mass a couple times for him, and one time in particular, it's a great grace. Uh, they, The first Canadian ever canonized a saint was St. Margaret Duville. She founded the Grey Sisters of the Sergis, uh in Quebec, and uh, they wanted a French-speaking seminarian from different houses around the city, and praise the Lord, I, I was able to do that, and it was great. Uh, I was with him before Mass, um, he went into prayer. He sort of groan, he groaned when he prayed up close. It was very moving. Uh, I was actually the great thing was I got to wash his hands because they wanted the shortest seminarians to uh, be the closest to him washing the hands. It was me and this Japanese fellow that did it together, and it was very moving. We got to be with him, and it was beautiful because we got to spend time in silence uh, before mass. He was praying, and uh, and that was a very it was sort of felt like weeks, but it probably was maybe 10 minutes, but I just remember just standing behind him and he was kneeling, praying in front of a crucifix and one of the most moving moments of my life. And then my mother, to my mother, God rest her soul, but she was in a nursing home at the time that was facilitated by the very sisters that St. Margaret Duville founded. So, and that was obviously the sisters in the in the complex were thrilled. Uh, they watched the mass and so it was such a, also a personal connection to that mass, but, but John Paul II was amazing. I mean, he... He just had a particular presence about him. I think everyone knows that that heard him or saw him. So it was such a great thing. Sometimes sitting in my room at at the North Marion College, he would give the audiences on Wednesday. And certain times when I didn't have class, you just heard him, his voice wafting in. And it was I just it never got old. It was always very striking, very beautiful, and very helpful. Uh, really, a, a true spiritual father. And uh, I had that experience of him, and I know I know many other people did too. So I'm grateful that he was there while I was living in Rome. I think that was a special grace. I can relate in my previous life as a reporter, a television reporter. I covered uh, Pope John Paul II several times, and the most memorable was in Denver in 1993 at the World Youth Day. And he... I, projected a sense of spirituality. I see this in a lot of priests, but especially him and the way that he talked to a million young people who were gathered in Denver, Colorado from all over the world. Uh, he had this one-on-one -on -one, uh, ability to communicate with each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. And the face was, it glowed with, with radiant, uh, what, Christian love and mm -hmm. peace. Uh, he, he was an exemplary priest, and I'm sure you experienced that more than I did being close up to him. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I think most people did when they encountered him, and I think he just had a, it's called a person, it's a charism when someone, God gives someone a particular gift, even in their person or uh, their presence, and he, he had that, you know, in, in, in his priesthood and his papacy was such a gift, and I think uh, he, he just brought that that presence of Christ's kind of steadfast joy and uh, felt great to be around him and hear him and see him and you know the world would continue to invoke him and I'm certainly going to ask him to pray that we get vocations for our military of course he you know he was the holy father when this archdiocese was founded right so it was his intention 
to serve our military like this. So I always am grateful to him for a lot of things, but it's something maybe our listeners don't know, but he was the Holy Father that uh, really founded, it was during his time that, that this archdiocese was founded. So, Back in the mid-'80s. So that means John Paul II knew that the military had very specific needs in and around their families. So so this this very archdiocese is a gift from his papacy, really, that continues today. So we're grateful for that, too. What about you? Have you served in the military? I have not served in the military myself, but I come from a military family. So my father was active combat in Korea um, in the 1950s. My grandfather also served in the Army. My brother was seven years in the Air Force. Um, so we have a lot of military in our family, but I have not served in the military. But again, have an utmost respect and a kind of a, I think each person has passions that are sort of innate. And I've always had an innate passion for military and their service and first responders. So, um, yeah, it's... It's just something that's always been in me, so there's no effort there. It's just natural, uh, natural. I think, from the Lord. And now I think coming here is, I can see why the Lord put that in me. So I, I think it, it goes well together. But again, my, my father's service and others, uh, it's, it's very good to come from a family that knows uh, kind of the history and how, how military service affects someone uh, in their life. And it does. It stays with them the rest of their life, and if it becomes their life. So, uh, so I'm grateful for that. So our listener may ask, you being a priest and recruiting young men to be not only priests but to serve in the military, do you see any conflict there? We have Christ preaching a message of peace, and you have the U.S. military whose business is to wage war. Well, actually, and I would say even the military's ultimate mission is to bring peace, right? So, you know, people understand Catholic teaching, there's the just war theory, but if, I think we can go all the way right back to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, and it were told in the gospel very specifically the soldier on duty that day was assigned to make sure that uh, the executed criminal was dead by putting his sword on his side. And of course, we if you go to St. Peter's in Rome, there's a big statue of Longinus is the name of that soldier. So one of the first converts was a soldier doing his duty who fell to his knees you know, and said, uh, this is the Lord, this is God. And so that's in the gospel. So we know that Jesus... Uh, really, I'm sure many of the other soldiers, I always think, I can imagine that the other soldiers on the route of his passion, they would have been affected by that, his look at them. And I'm sure that that stayed with them and many converted after. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't have. But again, I, I think that and, and the the great tradition that the military's had, um, mil- people to be in the military have to sacrifice Jesus' sacrifice to save us. So it's a sacrificial, self-giving love. And uh, please God, that that's the motivation for for our soldiers and their families, but certainly for a priest that wants to uh, give them the body of Christ. So I, I, I don't think there's a conflict at all. Matter of fact, uh, you know, we, we, the goal, and again, the goal. I, I remember once I was in Rome, and uh, one of my former students was, uh, he was a, a Marine officer, he just retired. He was training all these Marines, and he came to Rome, and uh, I remember the head of the Vatican Swiss Guard gave them a tour of the barracks and their life. It was a fascinating, it was four Marine training officers. Um, very, very, uh, they were just in the, in the marrow of training future Marines. And that is amazing conversation with the head of the Swiss Guard. And, and he said, he said that uh, the Pope said, if the soldier doesn't want peace where he's serving, he shouldn't be a soldier. And I remember they took notes down, they wrote that down because you know, and, and inside the chapel, this was scarred. There's all these wheat stacks. Every every 
for as many Swiss guards have been taken, they've given their lives protecting the life of the Holy Father. There's a wheat stack up in their chapel. And um, he said, yeah, he said, we, have, we carry weapons. We have rosary in one hand and the revolver in the other. And he said, uh, we protect the Holy Father. It's the Vatican military, so to speak. And but I remember those Marine officers were just, they, they were touched by that line. Um, and uh, it was Pope Benedict, I believe, at the time. But he, he said he'd tell, he told them that uh, the soldiers should want peace where he's serving the ultimate goal. And I, I, I like that. And then you also have the centurion whose words we use at Mass. Uh, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. It's interesting to imagine what that interaction must have been like between Christ and this Roman soldier, this centurion, Mm -hmm. who had faith in this Jewish rabbi. Uh, So obviously Christ had no... uh, nothing against folks who served in the military, not even the the oppressors uh, back at that time. Yeah, you think of, you know, he, the Lord, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. You know, my, all, his, all his own enemies who turned on him, religious leaders and others. But, you know, Jesus would have interacted with an awful lot of soldiers at the end of his life. And, uh, and again, we know some of them converted. He, he exalted and lifted the one you just spoke about because he had faith. He wasn't Jewish and he had tremendous faith. And Jesus was always pointing out the Samaritan, the non-Jewish people that were, so so to speak, converting to him, that he was God, he was the Messiah, and among them were military. And, uh, you know, Jesus, it's not in the gospel, you have to put down your, change your life, you can't serve in the military if you're Catholic. That's not true, of course, and Catholicism's traditionally been the largest represented faith in the military, and it makes sense because the church teaches service and self-sacrifice, and our, the Lord who founded the Catholic faith uh, gave himself. He gave himself away. The one who loses life, um, you know, saves it. And that's what a military school do. But uh, certainly a military chaplain, in a very particular way, I think, has a, a privileged place in the priesthood because he's giving his life to those that are already self-sacrificing for something outside themselves, for our country, for people, for, for freedoms, especially religious freedom. And their presence allows Catholics to practice if you will, that, that greatest freedom that they have, which is freedom of religion, to pray to God. And we who believe the Eucharist is God, and confession is truly Christ absolving someone. Uh, I know soldiers and their families, that this is the cornerstone of their, their experience of God's love for them, which they need, and, uh, and the priests bring that to them. So I, I just think a military chaplain's one of the most privileged places a priest can serve. Uh, I, I do believe and understand that and respect that, and hopefully... Uh, help help men feel called to do that. To do that, it's an important uh, place to be, and a place where where Jesus want Jesus wants priests to take care of our military. In the end, that's that's no doubt about that. So we want to sort of let let the Lord's will be done. A little more about your personal background. Uh, where did you go to undergraduate? What degrees do you have after your seminary formation and other? places where you went to study. Yeah, I attended a, a business school up in New Hampshire, um, which has since changed its name. Uh, but again, went to undergraduate, again, going back at, I have a philosophy, a humanities and philosophy degree from Providence College. Studied business back before that. And then I have, I went to Rome for a, um, my theology degree is from, uh, it's called the Angelicum, kind of in the familiar term, but the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. So I studied with the Dominicans in Providence since I entered seminary. 
I was with Dominicans really for seven years, uh, six years. So I really I feel like I have a good, thorough, a great grounding uh, in Thomas Aquinas's theology and virtues and vices that really help in priesthood anywhere. And then uh, I have what's called a licentiate in moral theology. So um, a licentiate sort of uh, not as much as a doctorate, it's in between, but it's a degree I, I received in Rome. And it's really kind of all the hot button issues of our day and the church's teaching on human dignity. So that was two years at uh, St. John Lateran University, also called the Alphonse with the Redemptorist Fathers. So that's another degree. And again, that was a, a great uh, experience there. Not, not, a, not an easy thing, like it's all done. But we do use that every day. And I think uh, having a background in moral theology has also helped me to help people that struggle uh, to be able to really give them sort of the basics of the church's you know, good teaching on the human person, human condition, redemption, and the gifts that we have in 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 our lives. So, um, so those are the, that's the background. But I think the best background I've received to prepare for this is really, um, I think other priests I know the joy that they have serving. Military chaplains I know some of them are very some of my closest friends are military chaplains. I've walked with them signing in. I've walked with them before, and I support them in their ministry very closely. So it's really that. That in and of itself also is a gift, I think, too. And one of the biggest issues facing men and women in the military these days is moral injury. Mm. Um, and I suspect your background in moral theology will prepare you to, to deal with that and, and, and to, uh, to mentor young men who will be dealing with moral injury directly. Yeah, sure. I think it's one of the things a military chaplain or a Catholic priest will do in the military is to obviously... Some of, some of the members of the armed forces that go through a lot of suffering of all kinds, and they see things that are very evil at times. I know from many soldiers I minister to, uh, they, that's why confession is so critical for a soldier, so helpful, that grace of healing and being loved and whatever in any circumstance. Um, but I, I think, uh, sure, I think, I think uh, you know, again, young priests, seminarians, we, we, all priests, we have to continue to grow and how we help people, how we can serve people effectively. And each person's different, each soldier's different, each family's different. And so that's why there's different priests in the military. It makes sense to me that God would sort of have the 12 apostles were not all similar to each other. And uh, so too, that's how it works. We, we kind of build our team uh, to serve the people that serve us. Now, for the last 17 years, you've been in the same parish, St. Thomas More Parish there in uh, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, is this going to be a big transition for you, uh, coming, you're a pastor there? So. Yeah, I'm a pastor there, and uh, so the people there are the best. Um, they, they, you know, they, yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're in my heart, and they're certainly in the center of my heart. So be a, it's, a big, it's a big deal. It's, it's not easy, but uh, that's why I know it's the Lord. I think it's, uh, they're, they're being called to sacrifice as I am. But if we know what we're sacrificing for and who we're sacrificing for, we'll do it. So it's sort of, I, I think in life we... We have to know, if we know what and who we're sacrificing for, as hard as it is, we can have the grace to do it. If we don't know why, I think that's when things become untenable. But yeah, my heart, my heart's certainly going to experience that in these next uh, few weeks for sure. But I know the good people of Thomas More love, love our military. They appreciate uh, what, what's happening here. So uh, I'm going to actually rely on their prayers and their strength to help me in my ministry. So, so they'll, they'll remain certainly a big part of my ministry here. And for the young man out there considering a vocation to the priesthood uh, and chaplaincy, military chaplaincy, you can find out more information 
uh, on our website at millarch.org um, or uh, by email, uh, vocations at millarch.org. And Father Marcel Tyone will be the uh, vocations director beginning on Tax day. April 15th, that's right. <laughs> I don't know it. And I always say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's to God what is God. So now God's going to have my ministry, and uh, I still pay my taxes. But uh, it's an interesting day to start. <laughs> uh, any any uh, closing thoughts? Uh, you're, uh, it's going to be a transition for you. You know, 17 years as a pastor, which is a, a tall job for sure. I mean, be a pastor is like running a business, right? Uh, you're the CEO of a business, and now uh, here you are, and you're going to become more like, what, a college coach or something. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm pulling these analogies yeah, well, off the top of my head. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, being a pastor is so great because when you're in a parish a long time, you obviously, you know, it's generational. You serve people. You've, you know, same family. You bury the grandparents. You teach the children. You marry the young adults and, and so on. So, yeah, it, it is like that. But i would be honest, like my, I love uh, the age group that I'll be working with here. It's sort of my, my wheelhouse. I think, you know, the, the young people today in our, in our broken, fractured culture, uh, the young people that listen to God and that want to do this are heroically amazing and inspiring to me. So it's not difficult. I'm attracted by, I'm inspired by them. So I, I think it's, uh, and I love young adult populations, always something that's been a big part of my ministry and uh, they're, they're open, they're mature, they're hungry, they want meaning, they want purpose. And I think, honestly, if you listen to this program, a lot of people don't realize you can be a priest and be in the military. They don't understand that those two worlds go together sometimes. And I think that's where we can do some education, too. And, and ask if you're listening today, maybe to, I think something's kind of simple, but just pray one Hail Mary a day for vocations. You know, it's a few seconds. I think we try to do that. Every morning, you know, when you're brushing your teeth or something, just to Hail Mary and pray that we have priests to serve our military. And that's something simple, something practical, but something effective I think we can all do. You've been listening to Catholic Military Life. Our guest has been Father Marcel Tyon, newly named Interim Vocations Director here at the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. Father Tyon, thank you for talking to me. Thank you, Taylor, and God bless you and all those listening. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. For more information, visit millarch.org.